Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Hail Yes, a Detroit Free Press podcast about University of Michigan athletics. I'm Tony Garcia, Michigan beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. I'm joined, as always, by my colleague, our Big Ten insider, Reiner Saban, a very sleepy Reiner Saban, who uh, just got off a red eye uh, from Pasadena. Frankly, never looked better. I mean, you just can't slow this guy down. It's just uh, non- nonstop, uh, just A-plus work all the way around. Uh, but he's here. He's back. Uh, for 24 hours uh, before we fly out to Houston for the national championship. We also got Andrew Burkle here, uh, our producer and our editor. He's uh, sort of helping us run the ones and twos as always. He absolutely killed it in Pasadena. He joined us for the Rose Bowl. Uh, I, I tried to pitch to our boss to have him come back, come back to the to the national championship because he was that effective, that helpful. Um, I think we need we need his talents and, and his, his editing elsewhere, probably for that one. But man, uh, what a time, what a weekend. He's actually still in Santa Barbara. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll hear from him later. Uh, Reiner, tons to talk about. Rose Bowl, Natty, uh, JJ McCarthy wanted to talk about science dealing. Hopefully we don't have to get into that today. But uh, how are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, Michigan has disrupted my sleep schedule big time, but uh, I'm, I'm surviving. Uh, now it was a it was a pretty incredible experience to see the Rose Bowl. I had never gone to a Rose Bowl before. Just seeing the setting, you know, the whole thing. It actually lived up to the hype. It actually surpassed it with the quality of the game that we witnessed. Uh, it was it was something else. Uh, pretty pretty cool experience, and uh, it's also going to be interesting to see Michigan. Four years after the yeah you know, the two and four season is now playing for a national title fourteen and zero against Washington who again two years ago uh, looked really really terrible against Michigan four and eight they lost thirty one to ten didn't score for the first thirty nine minutes of that game uh, looked comatose in that game uh, from an offensive standpoint now they have one of the best offenses in the country. Uh, it's a pretty remarkable turnaround for both programs to see them kind of compete in Houston's almost surreal in a lot of ways based on where they were at, you know, only a couple, two years for Washington, three years for Michigan. I mean, it was, it's pretty, pretty remarkable stuff. Yeah. I mean, to say nobody could have predicted this, I mean, maybe at the beginning of the season, the most optimistic of people could have what's funny is like, I'm sort of thinking back. I, Washington was not on my radar, even though they were 11 and two last year. And even though they were very good early on, I just felt like maybe eventually they would lose. It was always Bama, Georgia, Ohio state. That sort of felt Florida state until Jordan Travis, that always sort of looked like who they were going to have, um, have to get through. But other than that, I did go, I thought it was curious, uh, preseason. I mean, Later, you're going on a, on a show in East Lansing today, right on a radio show. Earlier preseason, uh, I did one in Portland, uh, and they were asking all about Michigan and, and these expectations. I said I thought Michigan was going to go to the national championship and could win it. And uh, out there, that I mean, it just seemed like crazy talk, right? Like, ha- that's not actually going to happen. I'm, had someone from Washington told me the same thing, I probably would have had a similar reaction. Yet, here we are. Uh, but... Before we get to Michigan, Washington, the national championship, that's what we're going to talk about for the next five days. I think it is very fair to live and soak in the moment of the Rose Bowl for the next 10 minutes or so. Uh, just sights, sounds, things that stood out to us. Uh, heck, how about the game? Pretty decent game um, as well. 
but when I think when I think about it, X's O's, what stood out, what had to happen. I don't know if I'm going to start with. I want to start with JJ McCarthy, but I'm really tempted to start with the defense. That's how good that was. But we have to go JJ. Uh, near disaster, right on the first play. Uh, he throws. He's got to throw the ball. Looks like he had Roman Wilson open. Doesn't throw it to him. Then needs to throw it away. Instead, he then tries to force it to him. It's picked on the field, much to his his uh, good fortune. It's overturned. It's not an interception. JJ was like, honestly, that was what I needed. That second life just to sort of settle down. They did go three and out on that possession. But on the next time they touched the ball, March 75-yard score touchdown. And, uh, and he was great from there, 17 of 27. Three touchdowns, no turnovers. Best game. I mean, he said it. Biggest game of his life. Best game of his life. Yeah, he played really well. I mean, he made some huge plays uh, late in the game, of course. Uh, uh, even the 16-yard run he had during that uh, crucial drive to tie the game uh, with 90 seconds left or so. Uh, he he came up big, and he was a clutch quarterback. This is the guy that uh, everyone thought would have to lift Michigan in this stage of the season, and he came through and delivered – uh, like many hoped he would uh, from from a Michigan fan standpoint and uh, kind of overcame and exercised some of the demons from last year where, I mean, he had a great performance in some ways in that game, uh, did some things that people probably didn't think he was capable of against TCU, but he had those two pick sixes here. You know, he didn't have the turnovers. He, he got past the one that it may have been a turnover on the first play, which could have, completely altered the complexion of the game and changed everything and changed the course of the game uh, that happened. I mean, maybe it would have uh, really kind of uh, psychologically impacted Michigan in the sense that they felt like, Oh no, this, the sky is falling now. And instead uh, yeah, he was given another a second life, a mulligan, so to speak, and uh, came back and played pretty darn good football and again made some really critical plays i mean again even the throw to roman wilson i mean it was it kind of tipped i guess uh, i think from roman wilson's perspective after the game caught it uh which is a pretty incredible catch the acrobatic catch for 29 yards uh down and then that set up the the game tying touchdown once you they scored that touchdown it looked like there was no doubt that michigan was probably going to go on to win that game uh, I think Alabama, you know, at that point was like, uh oh, something something about this Michigan team is very um uh resilient. And I think they realized that this team was not going to back down at that time. Right. Right. No, th- and that was sort of the message of this Michigan football team this year, right? It's just continuing to respond to adversity time and time again, whether it's off the field, whether it's on the field. Uh, I guess there hasn't been as much on the field uh, until until this game. This was really, you talk about J.J. McCarthy leading the drive, and when they recruit this five-star quarterback, he's, he has the vision, realizing there's a lot of pieces around. They kind of need someone like him to get over the hump. And someone had to believe in that vision and be that guy and not go to a, to a, a USC or a Clemson or a or a Florida State or a, or a Washington, somewhere they're just going to sling it, right? Like he, McCarthy had to buy into this vision and did. And then last year, it was, I mean, it was part of it. And he did not do, I mean, even to your point, I mean, for almost 400 yards of offense, a lot of really good things. He had to be perfect at this level. There's no, there's, 
I say there's no room for error. You think there's no room for error. Um, evidently, Michigan had slight room for error in this game. Uh, and I guess maybe that's where we could go next because I think we've we've talked about JJ up, did it, had to have it. Um, but but those errors really could have done Michigan in. Mostly they were in special teams, right? It starts with uh, Samaj Morgan muffing the punt in the first quarter. Uh, then after Michigan goes up 13 to seven, they're trying to go up a full seven. Uh, they miss the, they, they can't get the extra bad point bad. off. It's a bad snap. Yeah. Uh, and, and that changes things, right? Because when they fall down later, 17 to 13, instead of being down three, they're down four. So they have to drive for a touchdown. Like it changed math later in the game. Uh, and then a missed field goal in the fourth quarter. And then the almost just, I could not have imagined had the game ended that way. When Jake Thaw comes in for Samaj Morgan, clearly instructed, we're not returning this punt. Put your heels on the 10-yard line. You fair catch it. If you take one step back, you don't. You walk forward and you move away from the ball. Fire drill. Let it bounce. To walk backwards, to to try to feel the punt over his head, sort of, and then for it to fall on the turf, but have the presence of mind to gather it. This is what JJ said afterwards, right? Like he didn't compound the air. He didn't kick it out of the back of the end zone like we've seen in Lions games, right? And safety, boom, ball game. The, your season's over. He got it just in time, fell out just far enough, and Michigan kept it into overtime. Uh, and, and we'll talk about overtime um, after. Yeah, I, the, the special teams errors were kind of inexplicable given the fact that it was one of the strengths of the team and in the last couple of years, uh, and Jay Harbaugh has done a great job with the special teams unit to see them kind of, uh, you know, poop the bed, so to speak, uh, uh, to use a mild term. I mean, it was, was, was very uh, uh, surprising in a lot of ways. I would not have expected that to happen, especially in that kind of game. Uh, they're usually pretty reliable. Uh, but in, in, in this case, I mean, they were able to overcome it largely because of the defense. And, it, you know, it's funny, going back to the J.J. McCarthy and his play, the things that really changed the program or have elevated it to a national championship level program is, one, they have a quarterback capable of doing it. But now they've also got a defense that's capable of doing it. Uh, the defense that uh, was under Don Brown wasn't capable of beating these big teams. That man coverage scheme, they had smaller guys up front, and that just didn't work against some of these, you know, uh, the Ohio States, the Alabamas, the Georgias of the world. Michigan has slowly over the last three years built up a defense that is powerful up front, that can go toe-to-toe at the line of scrimmage, but also has the coverage principles on the back end where they are versatile enough to switch between man and zone. They play predominantly zone now. And uh, it's just a, it's just an overall better defensive scheme. It's an NFL scheme. And again, that came into play big time against Alabama. That's, that's the difference between Michigan in 2023 versus Michigan in 2019 when they played Alabama. It, it's an NFL scheme with NFL talent. That's what 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 puts it over. Like, I mean, not today, like, but will be NFL talent. They had NFL talent under Don Brown. I mean, you're right. You're, you're they, right. They, this has this. This is very scheme oriented. They, okay. they have the right guys in the right play. They have guys like Mason Grant, totally. and Kenneth Grant now that can totally. push the push you know, interior. the interior the interior back and get pressure inside 
which creates a whole bunch of issues if you're a quarterback. And, and if and if it was a, if they were running man all game, I mean, Jalen Milrow's backs are going to be to him, right? You're going to be yep. chasing your yep. defender, and Milrow's going to be running wild for sure. And then more crossers and different things, of course. I mean, we saw. I think everything you said nailed it. Um, I just want to also, in addition to the scheme, which like I think we've said it on this pod, like why does everybody not run this? Like it's really good, it's really effective um, because it's so multiple. Like you can go a nickel, you can have a five down front, and Michigan consistently went with the five down front, and it was the part. I mean, it was exactly what they needed to do. So they had Braden McGregor and Jalen Harrell on the edges, right? Set the edge. No one goes outside. Then you got. A thousand pounds, literally, of Chris Jenkins, Kenneth Grant, and Mason Graham in the middle. Five down linemen. And then you got Barrett and Colson, sort of, who were phenomenal. How about J- Junior Colson and Michael Barrett? I mean, we were talking about Michael Barrett in space. He showed us nine tackles, right? Se- second most on the team, a sack, one for loss. Junior Colson had 10 tackles. Uh, and I think it's no surprise that the linebacking core had one of its best games with Rick Minter and Jesse Minter with a full month to work together. Uh, I mean, they, I mean, they were talking about just their, I mean, they're, this whole staff, this whole program is incredibly cohesive. It's a little different when it's your dad, right? Jesse, like Jesse said it to me. He's like, he's like, look, you always think you always kind of think or or believe in your heart that everyone has your best interest at, at mind. You don't even like you're not even thinking about your interest when you're talking to your dad, because, of course, like it's right. It it goes without saying there's no next level. And so I thought um, I thought the defense had an awesome game. Uh, Six sacks, 10 tackles for loss. uh, And and, and the tone was set right away. Braden McGregor and uh, and Josiah Stewart with sacks on on the first drive Uh, and then two more sacks later. Uh, on on Alabama's third possession, Michigan had four sacks in the first twelve Alabama plays, and that was not just like a like Alabama needed to adjust. That was the tone of the game. That was the ga- way the game was played, and uh, it's because of everything you said. It's because of the scheme. It's because of the talent. Because of the bigger bodies. I mean, how many how many guys on that starting defense? Just the starters. Never mind Josiah Stewart. Never mind Derek Moore, uh, or even maybe a Cam Good. Right. How many starting people on that defense are getting drafted? Not this year, but ever. Maybe well, 10 or 11. Maybe, right. 10 or 11. maybe right. every well, single one of them. I agree. I mean, who, that, that, who, who doesn't? Will Johnson, yeah. Mikey Sanders still, uh, um, Rod Moore. Uh, I, I think Keon Sab started in, in, in the other safety spot. So maybe Sab, but I think they really like him. And he's just a couple years away. Colson's going to the league. Michael Bear's going to the league. And all five of those defensive linemen. It is a complete defense of NFL talent. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think, you know, lost in the what they were able to do pressure-wise was the coverage because, oh, again, yeah. there was there was really no shots for Jalen Melrose to take downfield. Uh, and he, he was really limited in the passing game. I mean, those those receivers were bottled up. I mean, uh, Jermaine Burden and, you know, Isaiah Bond didn't really do much at all. I mean, Jalen Melrose didn't look confident in making any kind of uh, read downfield or going through his progressions. Uh, it, it, it didn't look it didn't look seamless from a passing standpoint for Alabama, and he was left to try to improvise and create off script plays with his legs, and that was just not going to be enough to beat Michigan on this day. Yeah, Reiner, no doubt. Uh, I mean, you think about the one pass play that Alabama had of more than 13 yards. I mean, I think you, me, and, and Andrew, who we'll bring here in here in, in just a second, all remember it. 
Uh, I mean, Milro kind of rolling right. I just a, a deep shot up the right sideline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is a ball like this might, I mean, we still have a little more Alabama to talk about, but this would have been a good, if I was good at my job, would have been a perfect transition into Washington. Michael Penix throws a lot of these balls. I mean, perfect, perfect spot. Just in, under the cover two, outside the man, underneath the back, underneath the safety, on the outside shoulder, to the boundary, one spot. Uh, it was it was perfect. And we looked at, I mean, if he was going to be making throws like that, it was going to be a long day for Michigan. But it's not a high percentage throw, right? Like it's just, there, there was, it's, it's a drop in a, it's dropping it in, in a bucket from 30 yards. And, um, and he wasn't consistent. Yeah, he's not, he's not consistent not, enough. He's not and then, consistent enough to do that. Mm-hmm. And he's dealing with bad snaps, right? Con- consistently. Seth McLaughlin yeah. was having trouble snapping the ball. And so he he's not he just, he's not, it, it was pretty bad. Mm-hmm. So he he's immediately in scramble mode uh, for, for, from the get. And, uh, and so uh, I mean, we I mean, praised what Jesse Minner did against yeah. against Ohio State. Sorry, quickly, Ryan. Last thought. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That was the best defensive uh, game plan that I've seen in my time at Michigan, covering Michigan. Yeah, no, I, I think he came uh, and really diagnosed a lot of the issues that Alabama had and exploited those issues. Uh, you know, I, I do think the McLaughlin snap issues really played into you know Michigan's defensive performance too. Uh, again, even on the last play, it was a low snap. I mean, Jalen Monroe had to take a, a split second to kind of gather himself. That split second was enough for Michigan to collapse on him. And uh, they were already set the edge. So there was. I really still think that play they would have had because they were I like. Think so too. I think so too. I think so too. But I think he would have gotten oh, a lot right. closer, lot closer yeah. than the two yard line. Uh, yeah, I think they, it may have been it may have been the one yard line, and it would have been an even a more dramatic finish if that were the case. But yes, I think you know, that I mean it's just those little things that can really ruin a season, and this is why Seth McLaughlin is going into the transfer portal and uh, at Alabama, and I don't think they're going to be moving on from him, and they're going to get a new center because that that was an issue all year long for them, and it reared its ugly head, and that's the type of stuff that why that separates a team that goes to the national championship and a team that doesn't. I mean, again, Michigan made their errors themselves, but again, they were able to overcome them. Sometimes the team's just not able to overcome the mistakes that they had. And then the case that Al- with Alabama, I-, I think the snapping issues ended up having a cumulatively de- deleterious effect on them to the point that it cost them the game. They had to have it. It was. Yeah. And they, I mean, and, when you're when you're it's splitting hairs when you get to this level, right? All the execution needs to be completely sound, uh, and, and and Michigan was just a bit more fundamentally sound than Alabama, which is something Michigan has hung its hat on all season, right? Uh, the, the least penalized, the least penalized team, second best in turnover margin, uh, and they only committed two uh, penalties and one turnover. That was, was pretty clean, pretty clean game, and the and the turnover just about did them in before. We wrap up with some of our favorite sights and sounds. Uh, we almost went this entire time without talking about Blake Corum. Blake Corum is, ju- I, mean, I mean, like, you, you just want to clap for Blake Corum. There's nothing else. I thought, I questioned his decision to come back, not about skill set, just at a personal level, right? Like, you just put 250 touches on your body. You just went through a knee surgery. We see what's going on at the at the next level, right? At, at at the NFL and the way they're treating running backs, like go get paid, go protect yourself, go go get your. T- I mean, 
Blake Corum is going to have a six-year shelf life in the NFL tops, right? Six to eight, if we're being insanely generous. I was just, I was just amazed that he, and he coming off a unanimous All-American season. Yes, his knee was hurt, but I still thought that like, it, it was like an MCL, right? It wasn't like a full tear of like the ACL total reconstruction. I thought like he'd be able to. Yeah, 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 meniscus, meniscus. Yes, yeah, thank yeah. you. Um, mm-hmm. I meant meniscus. Uh, it wasn't ACL, MCL is what I was trying to say. Mm-hmm. And so, and, but he opts to come back. He tells everyone in February at Chrysler, like, I don't have too much to say. We're going to win a natty. We're going to be some legends. See you then. And then every step of the way, every time he's had a chance to walk it back, he hasn't. He's doubled down. He's tripled down. He said natty or bust. And, and, and this week, that, that run, that overtime run, that was Blake Corm. That was the Blake Corm shift we saw. It felt like just about every run last year that had been missing so frequently this season. Um, 19 carries for 83 yards and a touchdown, but to also be involved in the passing game. Two huge pass plays, a touchdown catch on the first drive, and then fourth and two. Game is on the line. Have to have a first down. He he sneaks out of the flat, catches it, runs 30, 30 or so yards upfield, right? And again, we're giving Jesse Minter credit. That's a credit to Sharon Moore. He went completely against tendency. He threw a 19-yard pass to Kalel Mullings. You know how many catches Kalel Mullings has? Zero. I mean, he 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 was doing things Michigan was not doing. Michigan loves to run multiple sets out of similar formations. And Michigan was setting Alabama up for a number of those plays. And Blake Corum, on maybe another month to get healthy, maybe not getting banged up, all, with Jim Harbaugh changing the way they're handling this CFP uh, practice schedule. I mean, I legit, I can't praise them enough. It was it was a masterclass when they had to have it from everyone. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, uh, Sharon Moore really called a good game. I mean, again, the scripted portion especially was very creative, kept Alabama off balance. Again, that flood route that uh, that opened up the – the six-yard touchdown catch for Quorum was really well designed where they, they flooded to the right side and uh, basically created a conflict situation for Alabama's defenders. They got caught in the wash and Quorum was left wide open. I mean, there was just really good play design, good concepts that were being used by Sharon Moore, things that were being used to set up plays down the line, especially even on that fourth uh, fourth quarter drive that tied the game. Uh, that was so pivotal. A lot of some of those plays that were uh, executed were set up previously earlier in the game, and so uh, it seemed like Alabama at times was on the was you know on their back heels. And again, this is a credit to Jim Harbaugh. I mean, he you know a lot of people are talking about he outcoached Nick Saban, but it's also he had the he had the foresight to hire some of these assistants uh, that ended up being uh, crucial to. Michigan success over these last three years. I mean, I think Jim Harbaugh's staff is really one of the best staffs, if not the best staff in college football. Uh, I mean, he just has uh, a set of really experienced, smart coaches uh, around him. And you can see the difference between this staff and some of his previous staffs that weren't quite as good. And it's just the devil is in the details. The execution some of the, you know, again, pl- play design and thought that goes into the game plans themselves uh, comes to the fore in these games and in these crucial mo- moments. And that's why 
Michigan is 14 and 0, uh, as in large part because the coaches do a great, great job of coaching execution, but also teaching concepts. Not bad for a, for a tight ends coach from Central Michigan five or six years ago, right? I mean, I mean, you're right, Jim Harbaugh, the identification uh, of Sharon Moore, sure. Maybe he had a leg up with his brother, right? Sort of helping him with uh, with that Baltimore Ravens pipeline. Uh, but he still has to have the faith. And Jesse, technically, he came from Vanderbilt, right? So it wasn't directly from from Baltimore. But uh, but yeah, uh, it's just a job well done, top to bottom. Uh, it was the vision that Jim Harbaugh had mapped out, uh, that he had grinded for, that he had endured for. Uh, and Jim Harbaugh had to take the brunt and get all the flack. When when flack was given to Michigan, Jim Harbaugh had to take it. Now, when the praise goes their way, it is only fair that the that, that the biggest majority goes to Jim Harbaugh. Uh, just wonderful uh, day, day for him. Glorious day, as, uh, as he would say. And I think the only way to wrap up this Rose Bowl talk is maybe because uh, everybody knows what happened. I, I think we just gave everybody their flowers, gave everybody their roses. Yes, as we say. Um, how about your favorite sights, sounds, Reiner? From because uh, because just for I mean I, I know we all we all joke it's like drink when Reiner mentions Alabama sort of thing. Um, but I mean Reiner has covered national championships, right? You covered like double OT national championship over Georgia. Yeah. I mean the Dallas Cowboys, uh, the 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 biggest that sports gets. You were kind of saying, yes, this weekend was, or Monday, I should say, was right there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was, uh, you know, a pretty cool, I mean, cool experience if you just said it's Alabama, Michigan in the Rose Bowl, the color schemes and everything, just the, you know, the tradition involved, uh, the fact that the bands are the only music playing. And so it was traditional college football at its purest uh, in that sense. And, and then you add into the fact that the game itself was incredibly compelling. Uh, again, once you had Michigan ridden off when Jace McClellan scored with 1430 left in the fourth quarter, I thought it was like, well, this is where Alabama just kind of puts it away. And uh, Michigan's offense was not doing anything at that point, really kind of been uh, shut down by Alabama. And then for them to find some kind of dig deep and find uh, – and, and pull out their best when it called for it uh, in that final drive uh, to tie the game. And then obviously what Blake Quorum did on that 17 uh, yard run, you know, spinning through a bunch of defenders and, you know, again, making that one cut to kind of get into open space uh, before doing the, the spin uh, into the end zone was pretty, pretty incredible. And then obviously the defensive stand, I mean, Again, how dramatic it's like uh, it was like a movie where you see uh, Michigan has the color color flood on the field. Yeah, exactly. And the the players running on. And then afterwards, you see Jack Harbaugh outside the locker room, uh, you know, saying uh, or completing the who's got it better than us. And then he's saying nobody. I mean, that's all I heard was the nobody part. Uh, And then in the locker room, you heard Blake Corum. He was talking to the media. We we were there, and uh, uh, you know his dad calls and uh, asked to talk to. Him. He's like, I'm talking to the, these reporters, and, uh, and and he also has his helmet uh, issue. The, the equipment is uh, uh, miscommunication because they gave him they gave Will him Johnson. Johnson. 
Yeah, Will Johnson's helmet. He wanted obviously his own helmet. So they're both number two, but that's what happens in college football too. They were multiple. I mean, uh, two different uh, players were the same number. So it's uh, it was a, a pure college football issue. So yeah. yeah, it was it was a cool experience. I mean, a really fun thing, and I'll I'll remember it forever. Yeah, no, and and it's funny. Like normally, the player just has their helmet with them, right? Like normally, you haven't just thrown it in hysteria and are running around the field like a chicken with your head sure. cut off that's i think where where, where it happened but no you, you you nailed it reiner um uh my favorite probably my favorite day uh just from a theater standpoint uh of, of my career maybe um just as, as cool as it gets there's 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 nothing better there i don't know what more you could have asked for on the field off the field uh it was just it was just tremendous and then just to to get to be down there and see the the pl- the players' reactions afterwards, um, just you could see what it meant. But there was even still in that moment the amount of jobs not finished. Uh, I was astounded by right. Like Donovan Edwards is using his hand as a microphone, pretending to talk to Chris Jenkins, and Chris Jenkins starts like singing it back to him. He's like, "Jobs not finished. One more." Like it's really funny. Like they're really. I mean, obviously they're in a pretty good mood and Chris Jenkins' mom just sobbing and hugging him on the field, talking about how how nobody knows how much work he's put in. And like, do you know how proud I am of you? He's like, mom, yes, like I got it. Um, it, was, uh, it, it was hilarious. Um, very, very, very cool stuff. Uh, and now they're off to, to Washington. But I'd like to uh, also ask Andrew, uh, who was there, who got – who was on the field uh, at, at the end of the game. Uh, I mean, Steven, five feet from Ward Manuel. Uh, he saw, I mean, Blake, JJ, you name it. Uh, Andrew, you were down. The Reiner and I were wrapping up our stories. You were field level uh, when the when the final uh, whistle, final buzzer, whatever the final sound was. I guess it was final snap. There's no horn, right? <laughs> they just tackle them and it ends. When the final snap happened. Yeah, it was a crazy experience. And I don't even know if I've told you about this, Tony, yet. But so they told us, so we're in the press box and they were like, all right, hey, uh, you know, media can go down to the field for the final five minutes. So I, we were like, all right, we should probably, I should probably go down there and see what I can get, like videos, reactions, all that stuff. So five minutes left, I start making my way down to the field. But the directions and where they told us to go were terrible. So I am literally sprinting, like as fast as I can run with my phone in my hand, just running through the Rose Bowl. I go down the section. I'm like, where's 28A? Where's 28A? The guy's like, all right, down here, down here. I walk down to the bottom of the section. It's just all Alabama fans. I'm just surrounded by fans everywhere. So then I had to go back upstairs. Long story short, I get on the field eventually. And the first play I see is the muffed punt uh, right at the one-yard line. So it, it just was like truly one of those days where like everything, I caught everything at the right exact time. And and being on the field, like the grass, the the sights, the sounds, the feel, even like the weather kind of felt like exactly where you should be playing football in January. And, and you know, credit to the Michigan fans because, you know, maybe it was just a different perspective being on the field. But my God, was it loud down on the field. I I have never heard a neutral site game uh, that loud before. And it, it, it's, you know, it's at most 60-40, right? So you still have 40% Alabama fans there. <laughs> But some of those defensive plays when Alabama and Milrow were trying to punch it in towards the end of the game, I mean, you, you couldn't even hear yourself think down there. And and I was obviously, like you mentioned, standing right next to uh, Athletic Director Ward Manuel. Uh, Santa Ono, the president, was standing right there as well and watching them like smack each other on the back as 
as you know the game was winding down was was a pretty cool experience just to see like how those you know the the decision makers react and watch this and how much it means to the whole university and community so uh definitely an interesting perspective and uh check out the free press instagram page uh tons of good like instant game yeah. after uh, reactions and stuff like there like there's a cool shot i got of uh sharon moore and jj mccarthy dapping each other up in the tunnel after the game you could just you know see the emotions on their face and, and and so yeah check out the free press instagram page if you want to see some more videos and stuff like that but it was really cool and an amazing experience to be there no doubt about it yes no that's a great plug especially because uh we're going to be more we're going to be more active and live on instagram on the free press instagram page uh for the national championship i'll be going live in the next couple of days we're going to be doing a q a answering all the questions you have leading up to to uh, the national championship. And then the idea is uh, at some point on the day of the national championship, we'll uh, maybe team arrival. We'll, 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 have, we'll do some Instagram lives from there as well. Um, so, all right, great stuff, Andrew. I think that's a good place uh, to sort of wrap up the Rose Bowl thoughts. On the other side of the break, uh, we'll briefly preview the national championship. Don't go anywhere. This is Hail Yes. All right, everybody, uh, in case uh, Alabama uh, at the Rose Bowl uh, didn't really do it for you, uh, great news. <laughs> number one, Michigan, 14-0, is playing number two, Washington, 14-0, and uh, in the national championship in Houston at NRG Stadium on Monday, January 8th. There were tons of good storylines for Michigan and Alabama. This one is no different. Uh Michael Penix, a former Indiana quarterback who you could maybe say was a Heisman snub. I would certainly say that uh, has now transformed Washington uh, on, with Kalen DeBoer uh, against Michigan's defense, which you just saw what they did to Alabama. Uh, Michigan was a two-time Joe Moore, Moore Award winning team, uh, the team who took it from them, Washington. Uh, and so that front against Michigan's front, uh, Washington's quarterback against Michigan's secondary. And then, yes, Washington will play on defense and Michigan will play on offense too. But a lot of people, I think, are looking on the other side of the ball. Uh, Reiner, I hope I didn't give too much away. Uh, I don't think I did because there's a lot to get into. No, I think it's interesting uh, uh, that they're facing Michael Penix for all the marbles. Uh, Penix, if you call, uh, beat Michigan in 2020, 38-21. It was the Indiana's first victory over Michigan since 1987. And Penix threw for 342 yards in that game. And a case can be made that his performance in that game really kind of pushed Michigan to dump Don Brown and uh, basically install this new defensive scheme that now Penix is going to have to face off against. And I asked Kellen DeBoer about that. you know, whether he saw any irony in that. Uh, and he said, well, I hadn't really thought about that, but you know, that's what happens is like, you have to adjust to the people that kill you most. And if anybody kills uh, teams in Michigan, the most it's, it's Michael Penix. I mean, he's done it to Michigan state. Many, many people in Michigan, in East Lansing are scared to Michael Penix, especially (laughs) after seeing him again, this latest time, uh, in September, I saw it firsthand, saw this team roll up on Michigan State. Now their defense is pretty terrible uh, and the secondary is horrible or has been since, uh, you know, Mel Tucker was the coach. 
but it still was impressive. I mean, watching him and Roma Dunze and uh, those guys just absolutely take the top off of the, the defense and seem to do whatever they want. Uh, it, it's a pretty exciting offense to watch. And Penix has got just complete command of it. He's got quick release, really good instincts, knows exactly where the, the vulnerability and the coverage is uh, and has incredible accuracy. So I think it's going to be a huge challenge for Michigan. But again, they they went – and shut down Jalen Milrow, really kind of limited him for the most part. Uh, so uh, I think, you know, again, it should be a good matchup, and I'm curious to see what kind of uh, scheme uh, maneuvers or schematic maneuvers that uh, um, Jesse Mil- Jesse Minter makes and uh, come Monday. That's the, the the chess match that that we keep watching. But another thing to keep in mind with this Washington team is not just how dominant their offense is, uh, and it's very good. Uh, I I try not to, to to subscribe too much to storylines or to like the like the, like the ether, like like mood and and vibes and stuff. But there is something to be said about this Washington team, and like Mich- it's Michigan versus everybody. If you think Washington has not been feeling doubted this year and like they have to keep proving people wrong, then you have not been watching watching Washington. Easy for me to say, right? I mean, I I said it briefly. I don't know why Jaden Daniels is a Heisman Trophy winner and not Michael Penix. Um, That's stupid. Uh, His team lost a lot of games. Uh, Penix didn't. Uh, I know that he had more passing touchdowns and more rushing touchdowns. Uh, Flip those those two quarterbacks, and I I don't know if Washington I actually voted for Penix for Heisman because I good job. You know, you're allowed to I keep mean, your vote. Yeah, yeah. Good. yeah, yeah. No, it's because you, it's cause I, you I, know what you know what you're doing. Because I thought his impact on Washington was uh, uh, it's clear. I mean, they were yeah, four and eighteen in 2021. They're fourteen and that, zero now, and it's it's largely because of Penix. If they didn't have Penix, none of this is possible. And and it's not, and that's not a slight to Jaden Daniels, right? He's a tremendous player, and and and, and his his move from Arizona State to LSU. It, it was as impressive as what Penix did going from Indiana to Washington, but it, it, it was it was wrong regardless. So you got that. Then you got the fact Washington beats Oregon earlier in the season, right? And then you play in the Pac-12 championship. They're like 10-point dogs, 10 points. And they're like, all right, we'll just go steamroll them again. Then they got to go play Texas. And I think they were like slightly favored, but it was very 50-50. But now people are like, oh, what else is new? Washington does it again. And then – We've mentioned his name a couple times uh, already. Roma Dunze. Uh, so o- Ohio State's Marvin Harrison Jr. won the Blitnikoff for the best wide receiver in America. Roma Dunze, uh, if he does not play on the West Coast, you think maybe he gets it too. Uh, I mean, I think it's Keon Coleman, Odunze, and, and Marvin Harrison Jr. are the three best receivers. And, and Malik Neighbors, actually, excuse me, uh, of yeah. LSU. Uh, but but Odunze had 1,553 yards, averaged 18 yards a catch. And 13 touchdowns. And that's not to mention their other receiver, Jalen Polk, who's got 1,100 yards and nine scores, right? So two wide receivers, 2,500 yards, 22 touchdowns. So Will Johnson, Mikey Sainristel, Josh Wallace, looking at you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's a high-octane offense with incredible skill talent all over. But then they also have this amazing offensive line that uh, – keeps Penix uh, protected. I mean, they've only allowed like, uh, maybe see the total, um, uh, sacks allowed, um, 
I'm trying to I'm trying to look at it up right now. Um, they've only allowed, allowed they've only allowed eleven, 11 packs. 11, eleven, yeah. And part of that is because Penix has such a quick release. I mean, Kellen DeBoer referred to that. He just gets the ball out real quickly. He knows where he wants to go with it. There's not a lot of time he wastes in the pocket. But at the same token, I mean, this this offensive line uh, does a good job of protecting him and obviously creating holes for Dylan Johnson, who, again, we've referred to the status as questionable right now. Uh, so uh, we don't know what they're gonna their running rushing attack is gonna look like, but the the running game is uh, um, also pretty potent for them too. So that's a credit to the offensive line what they're able to do in the passing attack and also what they're able to do on the ground. The the run game does have a bit of a question mark though, right? Uh, yeah. Dylan Johnson, uh, their their standout running back, uh, was hurt late in the game against Texas. Really, I mean. It was quite a catastrophe, right? Like Washington's trying to run the ball out late. Texas is out of timeouts. Dylan Johnson gets hurt, and Washington has to use one of its own timeouts, like against its will, to stop the game, get him off the field. That gave Texas an additional 40 seconds, allowed them to drive the field and have a shot to win the game. So that was just scary in the moment for them. But then you think about the fact that they might be without Dylan Johnson, who has run for uh, nearly 1,200 yards at more than five yards a carry and has 16 touchdowns, right? That's a huge loss. It's a monster, monster loss. Uh, and um, if you're Michigan, I think it's kind of a sorry, not sorry, right? Like right. it's football and, and Washington's going to have to find a way uh, without them. Um, Reiner, uh, you saw Washington's defense as well. I'm not going to lie. I, I've been wrapping up Rose Bowl. And I have been – Michigan basketball has a game tonight against Minnesota. So we've been talking to Jawan as well, and then we've been on some conference calls. I've done a, a lot of my Washington stuff, but I'm not – I can't go through them like I could Alabama's defense and, and hit you boom, 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 right? Is there any – what does Washington's defense do specifically enlighten us uh, that, that might give Michigan trouble? I think they're just solid, uh, you know, up front for sure. I mean, they, you know, they didn't give – uh, Michigan State much of anything. Uh, again, Michigan State's offense was terrible. I mean, it was uh, the last in the Big Ten in scoring, so there wasn't much takeaway I got from that uh, from their defense. But I mean, their their defense is just solid across the board. I think it's overlooked partially because of how good their offense is, and it's just a it's just a solid scheme, you know. And they don't make it you know too many mistakes either. So um, you know, I, I think. Again, this is a battle-tested team. Uh, they beat, I don't know, how many ranked opponents to get here. I mean, it was uh, – uh, and, that, again, as you referenced, I mean, the close games that they've had to uh, overcome and, and, and win uh, has been, a, been kind of a theme of their whole season. And so I think this is a team that you just – you can't count out at any point uh, just because – they're a complete team, but they're also a battle-tested team. Every single game since September 30th, they have won by single-digit points. That is remarkable. I mean, like, A, it's amazing that <laughs> that in 14 wins, their last 10 wins, you didn't blow anybody out. But also, to have that, I mean, I mean, it's it's resolve is what it is, to find ways to, to beat Oregon by three, to beat uh, Utah by seven, Oregon State by two, Washington State by three, Oregon by three, Texas by six. I mean, 
these are like nail biting games and you're not always on the on it doesn't matter who you are you can be georgia right and you're not always on the right side of those games and so that might be a little bit why uh people are hesitant on washington because it's like they have just been so close to fighting the fire. however michigan's last four games have also all been decided by single digits when they played four tough teams right they beat uh, Penn State by nine, they beat Maryland by seven, Ohio State by six, and then Bama by seven. So that <laughs> shocking. You play tougher teams, games are closer. I don't. I don't think we're going to do predictions here. I think. I, I think things are in a good spot uh, as they are because we're we're going to have tons more uh, coverage, obviously coming on Freak.com uh, and Hail Yes, uh, leading up to this national championship. Reiner, I think we covered a lot of ground here uh did we we talked touched on the fact we said that washington is the joe moore award winning offensive line right i know we said they have a very good offensive line but they won the joe moore award right michigan that michigan had won it two years in a row then fell short in the playoffs uh now they were not named the best offensive line and they had their best performance uh, of of the three years go figure uh is there anything else you think we need to to touch on uh but before we get out of here um other than i guess maybe this might be a good chance for me to, to pat myself on the back. Um, if you remember my preseason bold predictions, uh, it was that Michigan would win the national championship. And uh, I was laughed at uh, by a few. And they're one game away. I don't, think, I don't think that that was a crazy prediction. I mean, yeah, I mean, even I wrote that, uh, you know, you should believe in the hype of Michigan as far as a national championship contender uh, yeah. back in August. And I think most, a lot of people thought that. I mean, a lot of people we, thought. We, I mean, we, people thought we, they could we, do we, it. Davis had the number one at ESPN. I mean, there's like a lot of a lot of people uh, were in on Michigan because, again, Jim Harbaugh said that he's expected 20 players off this roster to be drafted. I mean, I was talking to somebody. But all told, week, people were not on Michigan. People were not all over Michigan this week. I mean, they were no, they were because they were of favorite. because of Alabama and this the CFP semifinal. But like going into the season, a lot of people thought they had a really good chance to go undefeated, get to this point. Now, whether they yeah. depending on the matchup, getting to the national championship wasn't a far fetched thing. Now, once Alabama was presented to them, and that whole SEC thing, uh, the the boogeyman that the SEC was kind of for for Michigan. Yeah, sure. I mean, people were starting to be a little bit dubious about that. But, you know, I mean, even you at Alabama, I guess, winning that game, uh, according to the predictions, I picked Michigan. Uh, I did. So I, I stuck with Michigan because, I, again, I think that this team's obviously battle tested. And, and even I'm not we're not getting into it too much. I'm not getting into how much you actually believed Michigan was going to win that game. We're not doing that on this pod. I don't know if you actually believe they were going to win it. I see that smile. Exactly. We both had it a one possession game and yeah, we both mid 20s either yeah, way. Right. Could have gone any either way. And the thing is, with Michigan, the only reason why it gave them the victory is because they seem to always pull it out, you know, or this team has some kind of special uh, sauce, uh, you know, that they've created for themselves where they can, they can overcome difficult circumstances. Yes. And, uh, you know, again, when the, when the chips are down, that's what you need to get over the top. And that's what happened in the fourth quarter. Yes. Our, our somewhat yeah. colleague, our Gannett affiliate, Nancy State Journal, columnist Graham Couch, 
uh, has, uh, I think, I don't know if he coined the phrase, I see him use it the most, sweat equity, right? They have put in the work together. They have the equity and sweat. That's what Michigan has, right? That's why right. it feels like they keep coming up, like, or not, why they don't come up short. Because they're 39-3. and three. They've done this 42 times together the last whatever years, right? They know the next time they put on the maize and blue, it's their last. It is the last mm-hmm. time, no matter what, for for this group. Uh, and and there's there there's there's something powerful in that, especially when you have Zinter and Keegan and Barrett and Sainer still and Corum, who all four got all four went had foregone the NFL to come back for this, and here they are. So hard not to feel good for them. Uh, pretty special time, uh, and Michigan football one win away from its first national championship in 26 years. Reiner will be there. I'll be there. Uh, I think we, we got Sean Windsor going. We got Jeff Seidel going. We got Mitch Album going. We have two photogs going. Um, I had to organize. Uh, I'm going to keep this uh, behind. I had to organize something with the band uh, to transport things down. Uh, should there be a victory, everyone will see what that looks like afterwards um, if they do win. Um, but there's a lot going on. Michigan basketball also has a game tonight against Minnesota, so tune in 9 p.m. Peacock. Uh, I think that's where we're going to lead it. Uh, great stuff, Reiner. Great stuff, Andrew. Uh, and then to uh, our uh, editor-in-chief, Nicole Avery Nichols, our executive editor, Anjanette Delgado, our sports editor, Kirkland Crawford, and our audio engineer, Robin Chan. Uh, and to all the readers and viewers, uh, we hope you had fun at this Rose Bowl and reliving it with us. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, download, hail yes, and keep reading on free.com. Thanks for watching.